0: Last week we kicked off our study of the Apostle Paul's letter to the churches in the Roman province of Galatia. Paul wrote this letter around 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection and it's considered as we said last week the Magna Carta of Christian freedom. It is Paul's defense of the gospel message he and the apostles had been preaching. Namely, the glorious message that Jesus has lived a perfect life in our place and died to take the punishment for our sins. And now, by placing our faith and lives in him, we can have a restored relationship with God. The big deal was and is grace, it's grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. It's undeserved kindness. And that's what God has shown us through Jesus. That's the message of the gospel. And the gospel of grace was the good news that we're not saved by anything we do, we're saved by faith in what Jesus has done. And if you're not familiar with the old acrostic for the word grace, it's a great way to remember what grace is G R A C E. It's God's riches at Christ's expense, That's a great way to remember what the gospel is and what Christian grace is all about. God's riches at Christ's expense. John's gospel tells us that when people asked Jesus, what shall we do that we may work the works of God, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Jesus said it's not about works, plural, it's about one work for you. The work of believing in Jesus. The one sent by God to do the works, plural, that we could never do. That's your only work is to believe in the work that Jesus has done. Why would Paul need to defend this message of the gospel of grace? Because a group of Jews known in the scriptures as the Judaizers had infiltrated the churches in Galatia and they were teaching a Jesus and gospel. The message that you're saved through faith in Jesus and something else. And in this case, the something else was keeping the Old Testament laws. They were saying things like, well you can only receive salvation by faith and grace if you're circumcised first. Or if you keep following the dietary laws and some of the other Old Testament laws that are still important. And in his absence from the region of Galatia, these Judaizers were bad-mouthing Paul's gospel of grace and doing everything they could to discredit Paul's Ministry. They're the guys, if they were alive today and Paul had like an Instagram, they would be the guys every post he does being like, you know, another false word from a false man of God. There'd be those trolls on every single post that Paul did, even when he's just sharing scriptures. That's what these kind of guys were like. Now, one of the Judaizers' main claims against Paul. Was This is so mind-blowing if you know anything about Paul's writings in the New Testament. But one of their main claims against Paul was that Paul was watering down the gospel and making it easier to follow so that he could become more popular, attract more people to his message, and pull them away from the true path of following the Old Testament laws. They were spreading a a false works-based gospel message while they were claiming that Paul was spreading a false gospel message where grace fixes everything, they were literally accusing Paul of being the Joel Osteen of the time. Oh, oh come on! You're just telling people what they want to hear—that that the grace of God just covers everything. Oh, oh sure, that sounds nice. That would be nice if that were true, but that's that's a watered down, weak gospel for people who don't take living for the Lord seriously. That's what they were saying. And you know what's incredible is that millions of people today still fall into the trap of the Judaizers. Millions of people are involved of offshoots of Christianity and cults that have come out of Christianity that have adopted a works-based salvation message to varying degrees. Millions of people are staking their eternity on what Paul called last week another gospel that's really no gospel at all. And it's tragic. Even more incredible is there are still many people today who are buying into those old rumors about Paul. I don't know if you guys know this, but this is 100% true. There's still people writing books about Paul based around the lies that the Judaizers were spreading. I had a very good friend from Florida who went to my church there, and he actually uh, was very generous in helping us get this church off the ground and moving here and starting it, but he began to read some of these books, and he moved all the way to the place where he said, Jeff, you know, I've just come to believe that when Jesus talked about there would be wolves coming into the church, He's talking about Paul. And what better way for Satan to corrupt Christianity than to get a false gospel into the Bible? So this is all an elaborate scheme of of Satan. Now, the problem with this is, of course, it's based on the assumption that God is powerless to prevent his holy word from being corrupted and God's like, well, I didn't see that coming. I guess there's, there's nothing I can do about it and it's I have a very hard time believing that God wants to communicate the message of his word to humanity and people go to his word when they wanna read it but God's just allowing 99.99% of people who are seeking him to be horribly deceived. That's a very, very hard concept to buy into but nevertheless, there's still people that do that These rumors have traction with a lot of people. And I don't share all that to go off on a tangent. I share it to point out that the lure, the attraction of a works-based gospel where you earn your own salvation, where you can be your own savior, it's an incredibly attractive message to our flesh. We love that idea. We find it appealing, we find it empowering, the thought that we could be our own God and save and fix ourselves. It was a powerful message in the Garden of Eden. It was a powerful message in Paul's day. It's a powerful message today. That's why these letters are still so timely for you and I. Now today, we're just gonna go through, it's not a typo on your outline, one verse. One verse, and you might be thinking, oh good, he's gonna be short today, but such hopes would be tragically misplaced. Because I believe God wants to show us some profound things today in his word. So let's jump in, let's take a look at this verse. It's Galatians chapter one, verse 10. Paul says, for do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? And then underline the rest of verse 10. For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Now the wording can be a little confusing there in the New King James, which is what we're using, and the ISV gives us a little bit better translation. I put it on your outlines. It says it like this, am I now trying to win the approval of people or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be the Messiah's servant. Paul's saying, he's answering this accusation, he's saying, oh oh, oh, really? I'm trying to win the approval of men. If I were doing that, why would I choose to follow Jesus? Why would I choose to passionately defend the true gospel? It's made the Judaizers my enemies. They stir up a crowd to try and kill me everywhere I go. I lost all of my social and political standing when I left Judaism. My wife left me when I chose to follow Jesus. I was stoned and left for dead outside of Lystra. I'm writing this letter to combat false rumors against me, and they're saying, their accusation is that I'm just out to try and win the approval of people? Come on. He says, if I really wanted the approval of men, I wouldn't be following Jesus. The church in Galatia had caved into peer pressure from the Judaizers. You see, all the Gentiles there, they they wanted to be thought of as being as spiritually sophisticated and devout as the Judaizers claimed to be and seemed to be from the outside. Not all the Gentiles, but many of them. The Gentile believers in Galatia were relatively new to the faith while the Jews had millennia of spiritual history. They had the hundreds of Old Testament laws, the prophets, the the scriptures, and the Gentiles were impressed by all this. And so they wanted to be approved of by the men that they thought of as their more spiritually advanced, spiritually mature brothers. And Paul gets straight to the point by saying, listen, listen, who do you care more about pleasing? Pleasing God or pleasing men? Because I got news for you. If you care more about pleasing men than pleasing God, then you're not following Jesus. You're not following Jesus. Would you write this down? It's your first fill in. If you care more about pleasing people than pleasing God, then you're not following Jesus. If you care more about pleasing people than pleasing God, you're not following Jesus. I'm not saying you're not saved, but I'm saying if that's where you're at right now, you are not actively following Jesus because Paul is saying those two things are completely incompatible. It's like saying you can move forward while walking backwards at the same time. I'm waiting for someone, one of my kids here would be like, what about moonwalking, Dad? So I have to find another example. But generally, you get the idea. You can't walk to the left and walk to the right. I'm moonwalking again. Never mind. But you get the idea. You can't do these two things at the same time. You can't go where God wants to lead you while simultaneously trying to earn the approval of people. Because if they say, really, you're gonna go there and you care more about what they say than God, then you're gonna say, no, no, I'm, I'm going over here or wherever you think it's best that I should go. These two ideas, pleasing man and pleasing God, cannot work together at the same time. So if you care more about pleasing people than pleasing God, here's what that means. You're not following Jesus right now. It's just a fact. Paul uses the term Bondservant, bondservant. Now let's talk about this for a little bit. This is gonna be the the key concept of the message today. While there was indeed the practice of forced slavery at play in the Roman Empire, there was also a very different type of slavery that had been practiced among the Jews, among the Hebrews, the idea of bondservants. A bondservant was someone who willingly entered into a legal arrangement with a master to basically become their full-time employee. The master would take over the responsibility of all of the person's needs. The master would be responsible for their food, for their shelter, for their clothing, for their protection, for their healthcare, all of that stuff. A person would enter into this type of slavery for various reasons. Perhaps they had accrued a debt to this master that they could not pay back. Or perhaps they had accrued a debt to someone else that they couldn't pay back. And so they would sell themselves to a master, often for a predetermined amount of time. The master would say, okay, you agree to work for me for three years, be my bond servant for three years, I'll give you $100,000. And they would get that money, they could pay off the debt that they owed to a person. They might be just at the bottom of their rope, at the end of their rope, they're out of money, they've got a family, they've got kids, they've got no way to feed them and they need to take care of the basic necessities or they're gonna be homeless and so they enter into an agreement with a master to become a bond servant and you can actually imagine if you begin to think about it, How many people in our society might be in this type of slavery if this scenario still existed today? You can see how if you knew someone would be a good master, this would be a much better solution than than being homeless or, or living in a van or something like that. It would mean that you were all taken care of. And among the Jewish people, the Old Testament law stipulated that every seventh year, all slaves were to be released. So when that seventh year would come around, no matter how much time was left on your contract, all slaves had to be released. So if it was gonna be one year to that term, you could only enter into an agreement to be a bondservant for one year because the seventh year was just a year away. And so I just wanna read to you a little bit more about this from Deuteronomy 15. I couldn't fit on your outline. It's Deuteronomy 15, 12 to 18 and we'll put it on the screens as well. This is what it says, this is the Old Testament law about this type of slavery among the Jewish people. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you send him away free from you, you shall not let him go away empty handed. You shall supply him liberally from your flock. In other words, you'll give him sheep, you'll give him cattle. You shall provide him liberally from your threshing floor, that's wheat, and from your wine press, that's wine. From what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall give to him. You shall remember that. That you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. And if it happens that he says to you, I will not go away from you, in other words, I don't want to leave, I don't want to be set free, because he loves you and your house, since he prospers with you. Then you shall take an awl and thrust it through his ear to the door. So basically, you put his earlobe up against a doorpost and drive an awl through it. You'd pierce his ear and put a ring on there, basically. And he shall be your servant forever. And that earring would be the mark that you were a bond servant. Also, to your female servant, you shall do likewise. It shall not seem hard to you when you send him away free from you for he has been worth a double hired servant in serving you six years. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. So this is a a very, very different type of slavery to what we generally think about when we think of that word today. And in more than one of his letters, including Galatians, Paul will refer to our relationship with the Lord as us becoming bondservants of the Lord Jesus. He is our master. The picture works very well. You can see already. We serve him and we do so gladly because he's taken such good care of us and he always will. He saved us from sin and death. He provides for us. He meets our needs. He ministers to us. He protects us. He guides us. He leads us. He blesses us. It wasn't the bondservant's job to worry about any of those things. It was the master's job. The bondservant's job was to concern himself with one thing. Just one thing. What does my master want me to do today? What does my master want me to do today? So would you make a note of this? Bond servants would have all their needs provided for by their master. Their role was to concern themselves with the question, what does my master want me to do today? What does my master want me to do today? Now, understanding that analogy that Paul uses, and even when we go back into the Old Testament there, you can begin to see this picture of us as the bondservant, Jesus as the master. So understanding that, having that context, seeing the parallels, I think we can understand Jesus' words with even greater clarity and insight now when we think about what he told his followers when he said, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Listen to this. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they, are neither, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? For after all these things the Gentiles, the non-believers seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. That's in Matthew six. To be a believer is to be the bond servant of the Lord. That's what Jesus is calling us to do there. He's saying don't worry about things that are the master's responsibility. You concern yourself with seeking the kingdom. You concern yourself with the question, what does my master want me to do today? To be the bondservant of the Lord is to willingly enter into that blessed relationship. To be a believer is to trust your heavenly Father to take care of you and focus your life on what he wants you to do today. And understanding all this leads us to some of the most important questions that we must each ask ourselves in life. The most important question in life is who is your master? Who is your master? We all have one. Our master is the person or thing that we look to believing in faith that they or it will be able to provide everything we need. They or it will provide food, shelter, security, existential fulfillment, happiness, meaning, peace, all those things. Your master might be yourself. It might be your hobby. Your master might be your kids, it might be your job, it might be your marriage, it might be money. Your master is the person or thing you look to believing in faith that they or it will be able to provide everything you need in life. They'll be able to satisfy every need you have. So the big question is who is your master? Who is your master? The follow-up question, and the one that even less people stop and ever think about honestly, is are they or is it actually able to provide everything you need? Can it actually do that? You know, if I get a new house, a, a bigger home, or our, our first house, then, then everything in my life will begin really coming together. And we might say, well, I don't believe that. But our lives might tell a different story. When we look at our lives, you might observe that we're working like crazy and saving like crazy, and all we think about all the time is this new home, and, and everything else is on hold because we're working towards this goal. But we've never stopped to actually ask the question, will it provide everything that we need? We've never asked honest, honest questions like, do people who live in newer homes have lower rates of divorce? Are children raised in nicer, newer homes generally happier in life? Is a new home going to cure the existential angst in my soul, the sense of meaninglessness that I sometimes feel about life? Will a new home have any impact on what happens to me after I die? The answer to all those things, of course, is, is no. As Peter preached in Acts 4, there's no name other than Jesus that has the power to save us from sin and death. There's no other master that can save us from eternal damnation. Since the world began, people have been putting their faith in and giving their lives in service to masters that cannot provide everything they need. This is what Paul is trying to get the Galatians to understand. He's saying the Judaizers might have a whole bunch of ideas about how you should live and what you need to do to be saved, but here's the thing. None of them can save you. None of the Judaizers can save you. Only Jesus can save you. So why would you care about what they say you need to do to be saved? The only thing that matters is what Jesus says you need to be saved. And what Jesus has said is that the gospel being preached by me and the apostles is the only one that has the power to save. So you got to make a choice, Galatians. Place your faith in the gospel that actually saves and live with the disapproval of men, the disapproval of the Judaizers. Or place your faith in a gospel that doesn't save but wins you the approval of men. But if you're going to follow Jesus then you cannot be a slave to the approval of men. You can't do it. This is what Paul is driving at when he says, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, if my goal was still to live my life, to try and earn the approval of men, I would not be the bondservant of Christ. And I know we're camping on this verse for a while today but, but as I was preparing this I really felt this is what the Lord wanted us to talk about today because if we're honest this is always timely stuff. These are things we need to be reminded of all the time especially in our culture and we're gonna talk about that more in a minute. How about this question even while we're on this? Is your mind, are your thoughts a bondservant to the Lord or to your flesh, to man? When there's a discrepancy between what you're seeing or experiencing right now and what the word of God says, does your mind become a bondservant to the things of the flesh? Does your mind start saying, it's time to freak out. There's no hope, we're going down. Or are your thoughts ruled by your master, by the word of God, and so you choose to think, your word says that I don't need to worry. I just need to seek you and your kingdom. You've promised to never leave me nor forsake me. You've promised you're working all things together for my good. You've promised you'll take care of everything I need. Which master is ruling your thoughts, ruling your mind? If the Lord is your master, if you're his bondservant, then your only concern is what he has asked you to do. And he's asked you to believe his word. He's asked you to put your faith and trust in him in every circumstance of life. That's what he's told you to do. Well, I just think that, it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you think. You're not the master. He is the master. It's his job to provide what you need. It's your job to obey his leading and instruction. That's the deal. Would you write this down? For the believer, almost all stress is the result of worrying about things that are above our pay grade. For the believer, almost all stress is the result of worrying about things that are above our pay grade. How many things do you think we worry about that God looks at and says, that's not your problem, that's my problem, stay in your lane? I think God says that a lot when he looks at us. Didn't I say I would take care of that? What what are you doing? And if that's ministering to you, we're not gonna talk a lot more about that point, but if that's hitting something in your spirit, I hope you'll make a note about it and just pray into that more. Uh, meditate on that. Ask the Lord to give you further insight and revelation so that you can grow and trust him more because that, that's the whole point of life. The whole point of life is growing in trust of the Lord. Understanding this idea that he's the master and we're the bond servant, it also gives us clarity on how to deal with the culture and the time that we're living in. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but sometimes the word of God is at odds with what our culture wants to believe is true. This this is a thing that happens sometimes. And when we want to please both God and men, we often find ourselves struggling with the issues of the day, and ultimately we find ourselves pleasing neither men nor God. But when we understand that we are bond servants and that God is our master, we won't be concerned about receiving the approval of people. We'll be concerned with receiving the approval of our master. We'll be concerned with accurately representing him. That's what we'll care about. I think if we're honest, there's a tremendous amount of fear in play around the issues of our day. Many believers are just terrified of being branded as the worst sin of all, being intolerant or being bigoted or being called hateful or unloving. For many Christians, they're more scared of somebody calling them or accusing them of that than anything else. But here's the truth. Would you write this down? Every believer has to decide if they fear offending people or offending God. If you've been able to to skirt by in your life without having to make this choice in a solid way, let me just tell you out of love and honesty, you, you don't have much time left this choice is coming for every believer. And one way or another, you're going to make a choice about who you fear more, God or people. You're gonna have to make a choice about who you care more about offending. Are you more concerned about offending people or about offending the Lord? Because that is the choice that it comes down to. And here's a a little quote from Jesus that as I often say, you won't see on any coffee cups or bumper stickers. He was talking to his disciples about the kind of reception they could expect when they went out to preach the gospel in the world in the years to come. And this is just encouraging from the perspective that that we think we're dealing with a totally new dynamic, right, Where, where our biblical values are clashing with the culture like never before. This is not anything new. This is what Jesus told his disciples. He said, this is what you need to know as you get ready to go and take the gospel across the world. He said, it should be on your outlines. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear, would you underline, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, which was nothing practically. And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. Would you underline do not fear again? You are of more value than many sparrows. Now, I had you underline the words do not fear because I want us to see that it's not a suggestion. Whenever that shows up in the scriptures, it is a command from the Lord. Do not fear. What Jesus is saying is he's saying if in life you find your actions being driven by fear, you find yourself in a situation where it's like, man, I mean, I could, I could go to prison for this. They might kill me for this. Like, like Lord, I mean, this is a serious situation. If I, if I side with you, um, Bad things could happen to me. So, Lord, you understand how serious this is, the power these people have. So, so you'll understand if I, if I care more about not offending them. Jesus is trying to, as tactfully as possibly, say, don't forget who God is. Don't forget who God is. This, this is the God who, when Moses wanted to see him, almost died from just seeing the wake, the trace of God passing him. him. This is the God who could strike everyone dead by just giving them a glimpse of one billionth of his actual glory. This is the God who, who when he speaks, the entire nation of, of Israel trembles and bows down as he thunders from the mountain. His presence is, is overwhelming. And Jesus is saying, But you're concerned that you might find yourself in a situation where you're like, this is really serious. These people mean business. And Jesus says, don't forget who God is. He's more awesome, he's more terrifying, more powerful than than anything or anyone. He says, listen, they might kill you, but that's it. That's all they can do to you. You cross them, align yourselves against them, Your body will die. You'll live forever with the Lord in heaven. You cross God and align yourselves with the enemies of God. You're coming up against the one who can destroy your physical body here and your soul for eternity in hell. So he says, if you get to that place where fear is overwhelming, he says, just remember, you should fear the Lord as well. You should love him more than anyone and you should also fear him more than anyone. That's heavy, but it's also true and it's wise and he shares this with his disciples to help them make the best decision they could when they were faced with the choice of offending men or offending God. He's saying, I want you to make the decision that's gonna profit you for all eternity. Choose to fear the Lord, choose not to offend the Lord. What does the word say more than once? It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The psalmist observed that the fear of man brings a snare but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Some of you will remember this story. There's so many good angles to this but Saul was Israel's first king and his life, if you know his story, is essentially a tragedy. In 1 Samuel 15, we read about how the Lord used the prophet Samuel to tell Saul to lead Israel into battle against the Amalekites. The Amalekites were a wicked, corrupt, pagan group of people. When Israel was coming out of slavery in Egypt, they would stalk the nation of Israel as they marched through the wilderness and they would pick off the weakest and most vulnerable members of Israel who would generally be in the back of the pack. And God says, listen, It's payback time, my vengeance is coming to the Amalekites. Saul, I want you to go wipe them out. Every living thing, every trace of the Amalekites off the face of the earth. So that night though, after Saul has gone out in battle, the Lord comes to Samuel and says, Samuel, Saul didn't obey me. The next morning Samuel goes out, he meets with Saul and Saul is upbeat, he's happy. It's been a great victory, and he greets Samuel, and he says, Oh, Sam, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Isn't the Lord good? And Samuel says, Well, um, how come I hear the bleeding of sheep and, uh, and the lowing of oxen? What's going on with that, Saul? And Saul says, Well, the people, you know, they wanted to bring back the best of the cattle, to sacrifice to the Lord, have, a, have an epic offering to the Lord is obviously a good thing. And um, they wanted to bring back King Agag to parade around as a trophy. So, so he's around here somewhere too. And Samuel, who loves Saul, loves Saul, is just heartbroken over this. The scriptures say that he, he wept all night when the Lord told him this. And then Samuel has to speak the word of the Lord to Saul, and he has to tell him this. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. And then Saul explains to Samuel what led him to commit this grievous sin against the Lord's command. Saul says, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. And then this is the key. Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. You see, the Israelites had easily defeated the Amalekites, just just destroyed them. The people were euphoric. The mood among the soldiers would have been jubilant and celebratory. And someone inevitably shouted out, let's take back their king as a trophy. And everyone said, yeah, let's take back the best of the cattle and make an incredible sacrifice to the Lord. Yeah. And the men had cheered enthusiastically at these seemingly good suggestions. And and Saul didn't fear the Lord enough to say, "Hey, hey, guys, guys, We can't do that because the Lord has told us to kill every living thing among the Amalekites and we've got to obey the Lord. It's not an option. Saul instead didn't want to kill the good vibes, didn't want to be a Debbie Downer, wanted to be liked by the people. And I'm sure they were saying, oh, we won this victory, Saul's such a great king, isn't it good to have a king? Saul is the man, our great leader. And in his own words, he was afraid to go against the opinion of the people in that moment. Saul's story comes to an end in the first chapter of 2 Samuel. He's badly wounded in battle. He's dying, and a young man comes across him on the battlefield, and Saul begs the young man to kill him and put him out of his misery, which the young man does. But before he dies, Saul asks the young man, who are you? to which the young man replies all those years later, I am an Amalekite, I am an Amalekite. May the Lord help us to remember that story. You see, living your life, me living my life for the approval of people is a trap. As the word says, it is a snare. It will rob you of your freedom. It will cause you to bury the beauty and the glory of who God created you to be. It will cause you to hide that and conceal that in favor of trying instead to be who other people think you should be. You will reject who you were created to be in order to try and be who other people think you should be. Living your life for the approval of people will cause you to miss out on the good things that God has prepared for you. If you're living for the approval of people, you will not be able to pursue or even recognize truth because the truth will not line up with what other people want to believe is true. And if you live your life sacrificing the truth on the altar of men's approval, you'll eventually lose your grip on the truth. You'll be unable to to even identify it which is a terrifying thought that the Apostle Paul writes about in the back half of Romans one. To be a believer means that God is your master, you are his bondservant. To be a believer means you care more about not offending God than you do about not offending people. To be a believer means both loving and fearing God more than people. To be a believer means trusting your life to the master's care. And concerning yourself with abiding in Him, seeking His kingdom. Now, would you write this down? We don't live for the approval of God, we live from the approval of God. We don't live for the approval of God, we live from the approval of God. You can live for the approval of man, but it's a trap of depression, anxiety, self consciousness, and more. The opposite of living for the approval of man is not living for the approval of God. It's even better than that. The opposite of living for the approval of man is living from the approval of God. What do you mean, Jeff? Remember what we talked about last week, how Jesus lived a perfect life in our place, about how the record of your life and my life that's reviewed in heaven is the record of Jesus' life, the life that he lived under our name, so to speak. You remember that? That's why I can tell you with confidence that if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you are already approved by God. Just as the Father looked upon Jesus when he was on the earth and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Because Jesus lived his life in our place, the Father looks at you and I and he says, I am well pleased. I am well pleased. That is freedom, that is freedom. We don't live to earn God's approval, we already have it. We live from God's approval. We live for Him because we love Him. You can have two kids who are playing in a baseball game and both of them will be trying to hit home runs, but their lives and their motivations can be completely different. One kid's trying to hit a home run to win his father's approval. The other kid knows that no matter what happens, His dad's gonna love him just as much. Both kids are gonna try and hit home runs. The second kid is gonna try and hit a home run, but it's only gonna be because he wants to bless his dad. He wants to share a moment with him. That's it. That's why we live our whole lives for God. It's not to earn his approval, but it's because we know we already have it, and having our Heavenly Father's approval sets us free. It sets us free to to swing for the fences because we know that His love for us isn't going to change, even if we strike out, even if we mess up. Whoever you are, whatever challenges you're facing in life, whatever failures of faith you feel like you've had recently, remember, Jesus lived His life in your place, which is why when the Father looks down on you, He sincerely says, I'm well pleased. I'm well pleased. His love for you is not performance-based. The Father's love for you is Jesus-based. Jesus already gave the perfect performance on your behalf. I love the gospel for that. I just love the gospel for that. Would you write this down? It's our last fill-in. A believer cannot and will not be a people-pleaser. A believer cannot and will not be a people-pleaser. If you're naturally wired that way, um, you need to know that following Jesus means sometimes people won't like you. They won't like you, or a position you take, or a belief you hold. And you have to come to terms with that, knowing that it's gonna be that way, and you have to decide in advance, I would suggest, whether you'd rather offend people or offend God. Because if you don't decide in advance, you're probably gonna give in to the temptation to not offend people. You're probably gonna compromise. And we all need to understand this because the culture we live in is increasingly at odds with the God that we serve. In Proverbs 14, it says, in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. What does our master want us to do? What has Jesus asked us to do? Here's what he's asked us to do. Put our faith in him and abide in him. That's it. The work that we're called to do is believing in him, the one whom the father sent. The work that we're called to do is abide in him. It's live in relationship with the Lord. As we talk about over and over again, if we prioritize living in relationship with the Lord, the good works naturally follow in our lives. You see, our flesh and the Judaizers, they get that backwards. Our flesh says, listen, you gotta produce good works in order to have a relationship with the Lord. You can't go take communion. You can't really enter into worship. You can't pray. If you need something from the Lord or you need his help, you can't pray if you've got that unconfessed sin in your life. You've got that terrible mistake you made that you haven't had a chance to go back and fix yet. I mean, you, you just got to sort yourself out before you try and relate to the Lord. But Jesus said, listen, listen, the only way you can do anything good is when it happens as the byproduct of a relationship with me. It's the relationship. That's everything. So our focus is not on a list of do's and don'ts. Our focus is on abiding in relationship with Jesus, connecting with him, talking with him throughout the day, getting into his words so we can have our mind renewed, our spirit refreshed, and, and learn to recognize his voice more clearly. It's, it's thanking and blessing him as we see his goodness in our lives. That's what we work on abiding in that relationship with Jesus, drawing closer to him, enjoying him more and more and more and more. That's what the master has asked us to do. He said, listen, I don't want your emotional energy going to worrying about things that are above your pay grade. I want you to leave those things with me. And I want you to focus on our relationship. Focus on abiding in me, getting to know me more. You do that that's your role. Let me take care of the things that I said I'll take care of. He said that he'll provide everything we need. He knows everything we need before we even ask it. And his word says that if we think we know how to give good gifts to our kids, don't you think that he, the perfect heavenly father, knows infinitely more how to take good care of his kids? He's a good father and we can trust him with our lives. And with that, let's pray together. Would you bow your head and close your eyes, and we're just gonna thank the Lord together for his goodness to each of us. Father, thank you so much that you are a good father. You do take care of us, your children, and as we look at our lives, we see you doing that over and over and over again. Your track record of faithfulness is always and will always be perfect, God. We just acknowledge that and we bless you for that. And Father, because you are so good, Jesus, because you are the way, the truth, and the life, we would rather offend men than offend you. Father, may we love you and fear you more than we love and fear people. Thank you for what your word says, that in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, strong confidence, Lord, may we become even more deeply rooted in our identity in you as your children, as your bondservants. Father, would you help us to release the worries that you haven't called us to carry? Would you help us to honor you by trusting that you know how to take care of your children? And would you help us to rest in the truth that you're gonna take care of us and to put our attention and our energy into abiding in you, enjoying our relationship with you, knowing that that is what is gonna result in us being the best spouse we can be, the best parent we can be, the best employee, the best friend, the best family member. So even in this coming time of worship, would you just help us to connect with you in a fresh way to enjoy you, God? To not think about a list of do's and don'ts, but to just say, Lord, I'm leaving all those things that you told me to in your hands. and I'm just gonna enjoy your presence and love you and thank you and, and rest in your goodness. Lord, we love you for providing for us in every way and on every level. You're a good father, Lord. You're a good father. Just be still before the Lord and maybe just begin to thank him for his faithfulness in your life. If you've been holding on to things that you know really belong in the Lord's hands, emotionally from a stress perspective, would you just begin to say, Lord, I just release that into your hands. Forgive me for holding on to that. Well, thanks for taking this time to listen and be in the Word of God with us. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to our website, mynewhope.ca, right now. When you get there, you'll see a graphic on our homepage that says the Gospel. Click on that and you'll be able to watch a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing right now. So stop whatever else you're doing. Go to mynewhope.ca and click on the gospel. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Shoot us an email at info at MyNewHope.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through His Word. If you're in the greater Vancouver area, I want to invite you personally to come and be a part of New Hope Church. We believe God is doing something real special as we grow together in our faith and love for Jesus, and we would love you to be a part of it.